Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing Monday's interview with Liza Lucer, who is the CEO at the CeeLo Agency based in Jackson, Mississippi and in Washington, D.C. Joining me back in the studio to discuss the episode are my friends and fellow leaders, Bryce Daniels and Elijah Friedemann. So first of all, what did y'all think about Monday's interview with Liza? I thought it was really helpful. It was neat to need to hear from her as a leader, someone who started off when she was young, when she was in her mid-20s, and has now built up one of the top three defense contracting PR and communication firms. It's really neat to hear from her and how some of that process took place. And also, you had the experience of interning when you were in college at the CeeLo Agency, right? That's right. Yeah, I got to spend part of a summer there helping out with some of the things she mentioned, the Sanderson Farms Golf Championship. I helped, got to do work for clients who had representation at the Paris Air Show going on at the same time, so I could do social media for them. So it was neat to get some hands-on experience with some of the stuff the CeeLo Agency is working with every day. Yeah. Bryce, what did you think? The interview was very eye-opening. It was nice to hear that a woman from Mississippi has been able to develop something so lucrative and so uh, world-renowned. Uh, I thought it was just really nice to hear some of her different perspectives and some of the really simple things and ideas that have taken her a long way for the past 35 years. It was awesome. Yeah, and I don't really think about this as far as our economy goes, but it was interesting to hear her actually name that we don't have a Fortune 500 company in Mississippi. And I know that a lot of our listeners aren't from Mississippi, but that's just kind of strange to think about as a lifelong Mississippian that we live in a state where we don't have even one of the top 500 companies within our, our state. But we produced Oprah and Elvis, so that makes up for oh, it right there. Oh, <laughs> and that's, that's actually something that we didn't talk about in the interview, but the CeeLo Agency was actually, uh, you may know more about this, Elijah, but they actually had... A, a marketing campaign that was kind of along those lines. Do you remember much about that? Yeah, it's called Mississippi Believe It, and it all came out of Eliza's husband, Rick, was on an airplane going to or from New York, and this guy next to him, this kid, is like, oh, you're from Mississippi? Do people wear shoes down there? And Rick, Which, which I've legitimately been asked by people. Which is mind-blowing. And Rick was like, well, yeah, let me tell you who else comes from Mississippi. So it's all about things like the first African-American senator, believe it or not, was from Mississippi in the 18, I think 1870s, 1880s. Um, some of the first groundbreaking women in different fields. We have a lot of entertainers, a lot of sports stars, a lot of business leaders from Mississippi. So it's cool to start to educate people on that. And CeeLo is trying to lead the way on that. Yeah, and I, I might botch some of it, but part of part of their campaign was, believe it or not, we wear shoes, and some of us even wear cleats. Exactly, that's right. And what do you remember any of the other ones? Yeah, but believe it or not, some of us read, or so, some of us read, and believe it or not, some of us write books too, and then list some of the great authors that come that come from. Mississippi. Yeah, Eudora Wealthy, Willie Morris. I'm sure there are many, many others that yeah. I'm not thinking about. Those are just contemporaries and people who have been alive very recently and are still living today. 
Another thing that we didn't get to talk about in the interview, unfortunately, it was cut a little bit short by some technical difficulties, but um, Liza's husband, Rick, the first time they ever met was at a an advertising conference. And this is actually on their website, but he apparently, when he saw her, he grabbed a photographer and said, take a picture of the night we met so I can show our children. That is impressive. That takes chutzpah. That's from, wonderful. From one man to another, well done. Exactly, exactly. So one of the things that Liza talked about in her interview was how she has been able to form bonds within her team so that they've been able to stay together and really have had some pretty low turnover over the last 35 years. And she was talking about the importance of of forming bonds on teams and how to do that. And I wanted to open it up, kind of broaden it out a little bit. For the influential leaders in your lives, what have they done in order to form strong bonds on the teams that they were leading that you were on? Does anything come to mind? For me, I believe it's just been taking time out to honestly just do things to form that bond uh there's simple things like picnics or potlucks or um inviting the people that you know over for um i don't know a barbecue you know maybe to watch some big football game and a lot of people don't realize doing simple things like that generates a lot of different conversations in just a nice calm social environment you know around a nice event or something like that and um it really just helps you to get to know that person and you know the more you get to know a person the more that trust is built the more that uh consensus and uh continuity is built with that next person and it can translate healthily to a business relationship yeah i'd agree with what bryce said and in addition to that 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 sense of just building camaraderie and we know each other on a personal level when someone shows interest in helping you develop or interest beyond simply the task that you're doing or the service you're providing for them, but how can they go above and beyond, connect you with a relationship? I've had that happen a number of times, or help have a conversation with you to take you deeper in your development. Those those things are meaningful to me and help me trust them more because that shows, hey, I care about you. I care about your future even beyond what you can offer to me or this organization. And I think that might be a better starting point in some contexts because depending on the context and how much you and the people that you work with share a common worldview and common interests, the, the, the community building that you talk about, Bryce, may or may not be as effective. Now, if you can get your team to that level, that's great. If they really like spending time around each other, then if that's the case outside of the workplace, then as long as you as a leader or as long as whoever the leader is can keep them on task, that can be an amazing thing. Of course, there's always a flip side where people enjoy spending time together so much and they're friends, and when they get together to work, they're just continuing the social gathering, which is also dangerous. But when you don't have that common worldview or common interest, at least as the leader showing interest in the people who are working for you can really help to grow that trust and grow that camaraderie and the common vision that can really help a team to grow and work effectively together. So I've been doing a little research right now on Gen Z. So Gen Z would be uh, the last two years of college graduates and then also kind of the tail end of the millennials. And so over the last four years, the number one thing that people entering the workforce are looking for in a job is personal growth, opportunity for growth. And then along with that, it's also team culture 
and, and an opportunity to obviously make money as well, uh, but but the culture of, of it, of the team, and then of, of growth. So I feel like those things of building those relationships and then having someone be there for you, that's definitely something people are looking for right now uh, that are our age and even a little younger. So there's this thing that's been floating around online for a while, and it's a CFO and CEO talking to each other. And the CFO is kind of nervous, and he says, what if we invest in our people and then they don't stay with us? And then the CEO says, what if we don't invest and they do stay? And so there is that thing where you know we have people coming in. If we invest in them, what if they go somewhere else? Well, then you've helped them in their career, and they're going to probably be grateful to you if they recognize that, which hopefully they will. But... At the same time, if you're not investing in people, then you know they're not going to be attractive to others, and they might just end up working for you and not be fully developed because you've dropped the ball. So we, we've all seen leaders who have helped develop trust in teams we've been on, but flipping that question a little bit for us then, what are some steps forward to take? Is there anything different that we could do to build trust with teams we're leading? Well, honestly, I like some of the stuff that Liza was talking about. She brought up the point of having a, a strong vision that people could actually get behind. And I think when you have a vision and people are joining, knowing the vision, and you're leading them to carry out the vision that you have shared with them, then that kind of builds up some trust and confidence and creates better cohesion on the team. I also liked how she was sharing about how she and her husband were willing to kind of take the fall when difficult times came. And I think when you are a leader and your team knows that you're willing to experience just as much, if not more, of the difficulty, that that instills a lot of trust and confidence in the people that are working for you, and it gives them the confidence to fight hard alongside of you because they're almost trying to help you now because they know that you as a leader are going to be the one who experiences the most difficulty, and they don't want that because at this point, They probably care about you because they know that you care about them. I think that's exactly right. And and I think back to examples I've seen, but then also um, things I've read and and, and people that have been talking about leadership. Anytime you can let someone on the inside to let them see the struggle of leadership or let them see the success or share in the success as well is that opportunity for building trust because the relationship comes to the center. So if you're willing to have a hard conversation with somebody and say, look, I'm, I'm pointing this out because I care about you, but I'm still for you and I want you to grow from this. And so even if there's a point of conflict, you can develop trust in that through letting them on the inside or letting them on the inside of a tough decision you're having to make and saying, hey, this is where I'm at. This is why I'm making the decision or even giving them the chance for feedback. Anytime you open yourself up, you create that opportunity for trust to be built. So Liza also talked about how different brands focus on different areas. Uh, different car brands, for instance, want to be known for different things, even though all of them may be safe, all of them may be fast. Some some brands may focus more on the sporty side of things where others want to be known as the safe brand. This is the same for restaurants and for any other number of organizations. I'm wondering if you knowingly choose brands based on the values that they represent. And then if not, what are some of the other determining factors for you? Because I think this might help us as we think about ourselves as leaders, both as we try to brand ourselves, so to speak, but also try to create a value system and a brand for whatever we're leading. So unknowingly, I always happen to pick Nike when it comes to shoes. Okay. Reason being is because it seems like that's the one brand that 
not only always has the size that I need, but it's very reliable and they seem to last the longest. I any pair of Nike shoes that I've ever bought, they always last at least about a year and a half, two years. Yeah. And that durability and that reliability is something that I attribute and always attach to Nike. And that lends to places in life that you lead as well. Um, in my youth ministry, my kids always come because they say, Bryce, you're always going to be there. You're always going to not judge us. You're always going to treat us right. You're always going to have this, that, and the other. And it's amazing how, as humans, subconsciously, we attribute things to a name or image or brand, and that keeps us coming back. And I believe that applies directly to what Liza talked about in her interview maintaining that consistency in a certain area with whatever your niche is if you stick to it and you become good at that thing it makes you successful for years to come yeah and i would be interested to know what nike tries to be known for as a brand i don't know that enough but that also brings up an interesting thing which is the experience that people have with you or with an organization will influence perhaps how other people see you. So, you know, if even if even if Nike's primary focus is not we want to be known as the high quality shoe, if people start having great experiences with Nike shoes, then that's going to just happen organically. And that's re- a really neat thing to happen. That can happen positively, but it can also happen negatively. And that shows how uncontrollable brands can be sometimes. Obviously, you want to shape what you believe, who you are, but then you have this whole element of how the user or how the the person you're relating to, Bryce, how the kids in in your youth ministry view you and relate to you. You can't always control all of that, but you can do your best to at least control what you output. And I I think back to, you know, I'm one of these guys and I want to say I'm not influenced by brands, by how they position. I'm, I'm my own guy. I make my own decisions based on, but then I start thinking back and I'm like, well, I'm a cost conscious guy. I make a lot of decisions based on price. And so the latest pair of running shoes I got was actually Skechers, right? Why? Well, I, I guarantee you one of the ways they position themselves is the affordable option. You, you look at Nike, you look at, look at Adidas, and you look at Skechers, and they're going to be cheaper. And so I think I, I fall right into that brand consciousness without even realizing it because they're positioning themselves intentionally in that way. I at least thought this when I was younger, whether or not this is an accurate view or not today, I don't know. But I used to think that Skechers were pretty cool looking shoes except for the fact that they had sketchers all over they had like their name or their symbol all over the place and it just didn't look good so it was like it was almost there but it didn't ever quite make the cut for me that being said i i will say that when it comes to to larger ticket purchases and i would say the larger the more this is true that when i buy something that's expensive i do want it to represent something that i care about or I want it to be something that aligns with what I care about. And the reason the reason that's important is because, you know, when it comes to uh, you're in the grocery store, do you buy the name brand or do you buy the store brand? That doesn't really matter. But when it comes to things that do influence your daily life, it it can have an impact, especially if it's if it's people that you're working with, if the people are a big part of it. If it's a service, for instance, then the value of the people you're working with really does matter. Uh, for a product, maybe, maybe not. I think it depends on the item. But especially when you're working with people, you want to make sure that the people you work with have values that align with your end goals. 
And that's one thing Liza talked about. She talked about how if you don't want to become a commodity as an organization yep. or in a relationship, you've got to have that foundation built on trust, right? You can trust the people. They can trust you. If not, you're just a commodity, which is how I spend most of my money, except, like you said, Josh, for those higher ticket items. And then suddenly it's it's a lot more about the people involved in it. For sure. I believe that trust is probably playing the biggest role in all of these things, whether it's uh, brand consciousness or whatever you associate with a brand, it's the trust. Like back to Nike, I entrust Nike with giving me a decent shoe and lasting for the amount of time that I would want it to last. Or with uh, my kids trusting me, they're entrusting me with their lives. They're entrusting that they're going to be safe when they come and see me. Yep. Uh, and they also entrust that I'm going to give them a good mindset when it comes to either Christ or things in life. And uh, that plays a big role in business or with whoever we're in contact with or in communication with on the daily basis and in life and with friendships and all that. And maybe this doesn't need to be said, but it probably does. And that is that it can take a whole lot of money and time and effort to build up a brand and to, to really convince people of the values that you hold and the values that you represent, but it can take hardly any time for that to totally be destroyed. And that can be because someone's smearing you or because of something really stupid that you did. That's something really important, especially as you're younger to keep in mind, because the values that you put forth need to be the values that you're actually living by. And if you're not living by the values that you want to be known by, that's going to catch up to you at some point And it's going to really mess you up or your organization or any other number of things that you're involved with in life. So that's a, that's a cautionary thought that I think would be really good, especially for younger leaders to keep in mind. In the interview, Liza mentioned a leader she saw fairly early on in her career and he prayed before every meeting and she thought, okay, if I get a chance to have a team, I'm going to pray before every meeting, just like he does. Are there any examples like that you've seen where you thought, okay, I love what that leader does. If I ever get a chance to lead in a similar capacity, I'm going to do that same thing. For example, I've had several leaders in my life. They've, they've interacted with me, mentored me, and then they'll keep up with me for years into the future. It'd be an occasional email text and encouragement, but always saying, hey, I know you're doing well. I'm excited to see what's coming next, that constant encouragement. So I've always thought as I keep leading people and have people under my leadership go off and do other things, I want to be a leader who can keep following up with them and saying, hey, I believe in you. So excited to see this about you. I know you're going to keep doing great things. If I can ever help, let me do that. I've always wanted to model that because I've seen leaders do that for me. I've had that very same experience. I've been blessed to be around some great leaders, whether it's bosses or, you know, leaders in church. But the best example that I've actually had is among friends, people that I would spend time playing sports with or working out with. And one of my friends, his name is Blake. And Blake is a very encouraging person. He always points out the positive. Like whenever we're playing together or whenever we're working out together, he points out, hey, you did this set really great. Or, hey, you did this thing uh, really good here, or you can maybe sharpen this up a little bit, but your foundation started out awesome. And I believe that as leaders, being able to start with encouragement before we get into criticism is very vital. I've seen a lot of leaders that start with criticism and they start pointing out the negatives and that can turn people away. Where if you start with the positives and you th- and you start with the things that a person does good and you build from that, it starts to eliminate those negatives. So that's the best thing that I've seen leaders do that I want to impart into everything that I do as a leader. 
And encouragement is such a big deal. I, th- I think if any of us have experienced positive encouragement from leaders around us, we want to emulate that. And that's so helpful. What's always good for me is, because I have had a lot of leaders who will say encouraging things, but they're the generic or cliche encouraging things. Hey, you mean a lot. Hey, I'm so thankful for you. And that that is such a throwaway thing to say. It, it doesn't do much for me. I, I mean, it's better than getting chewed out. But what I really appreciate is when people get specific and they say, I saw that one thing you did or the way you did that, that really small thing you did. I really appreciated that or I saw the growth there. And that means a lot to me. Or when they project it out and say, I saw what you did here and I saw what you did six months ago and I can only imagine what you're going to do a year from now. That specific encouragement really speaks to me. And I think it's true for a lot of people. So I really, really want to try to emulate that in my own leadership. So being able to speak into other people's lives and also maintaining connection, maybe not with everyone that you're leading, but certainly the people that you have a a special connection with, it's something that's really valuable, not only for you to do as a leader, but it's going to be valuable in the lives of the people that you are leading as well. So let's go ahead and go to our key takeaways for the day. What are a few things that you would like to leave with the listeners from our interview with Liza this week? There are two big things for me. The first is if you want to keep something from being a commodity, it has to be built on trust. And the second is you got to understand what makes you or your organization truly unique, and then you have to go all in on that one or those two things. How about you, Bryce? For me, just the one big takeaway is to stay true to the way that you present yourself. If you begin presenting yourself one way, I believe that when you set that at the beginning of whatever it is that you're starting, it could be uh, community building or a business or whatever, stay true to that thing and just trust that you'll be able to build upon that thing with all of the keys and resources that you have. And my first key takeaway is similar to things that you've both said, and that is to figure out the values you want to be known by and make sure that your actions actually align with those values. The second thing is to form bonds with those you're leading by gaining their trust, by sharing your vision, and by being willing to take the brunt of the difficulties that come your way. And the final thing is something that we didn't talk about today, but it's to include the question, what if? as you are thinking about the future, both in your personal life and in your leadership roles, because what if can open up some interesting conversations and ways of thinking for you as you're looking to make a difference in this world. Elijah, Bryce, thank you for joining the podcast this week. Thanks so much for having us on. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And three, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will help to make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time... Keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. 
Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.